You know, a love story is never as, as simple as it sometimes starts out. And a beautiful love story was taking place 2,000 years ago this night. And it really is a double love story. And we come in in a, in a tragic, beautiful, divine, and, and maybe even personal moment. It's a love story between God and his creation. It's also a love story between the Father and the Son. And the language used in Scripture is personal language. When it describes the relationship of the Trinity that is so much above any of our pay grades of understanding, it uses language that we would understand, a familial language, and talks about the Father and the Son. And Jesus uses that language on the cross and the sixth thing he says. Now, just to take you to a moment where you would know how personal it is. Have you ever been in a moment where you feel like you were putting your hands, you're putting something that really mattered in somebody else's hands, a, a life or death situation? You know, all three of my kids are here. I have a memory of each of them of a time when, when I left them someplace and, and, and with tears and prayer, put them in somebody else's hands. And I didn't think they were quite qualified for the task. I remember dropping Pierce off at a, at a camp. And uh, he's a creative, adventuresome young man. And, and I remember we dropped him off and he was quick to just jump out and be fine. And he didn't need any last advice from us. But I remember driving away from there with this sense of, I've just placed something that I value into your hands. Take care of it. <laughs> I remember when my daughter got married, and um, and I'd I'd not done a good job with one of her previous boyfriends. I kind of approved too quickly, and and even though she did really well with with this guy that she married, Noah, but I remember I remember her thinking, uh, placing something so valuable in your hands. Don't mess this up. I'm placing it's life or death. Treat her well. Gosh, I remember when Skyler was in surgery when he was really young, and I remember handing him over to the doctor as a baby and, and saying something really foolish like, you be really careful with him now. <laughs> as if at this he was going to just not take seriously. Now I tell those stories not because those stories matter as much as I want you to catch the flavor of the personal nature of the words that Jesus is about to say on the cross. And we're going to look at the phrase that he says. We're going to look at some of the ways that that means. And I want you to leave it in both understanding it personally. Can you say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit? And then theologically, do you understand what's taking place on the cross as Jesus says that to his father. To his father. So, the words that we're going to look at, you'll find, the words of reunion, you'll find those in Luke 23. I'm going to read it in context, 44 through 49. It says this, It was now about the sixth hour, 
And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sunlight failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last breath. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowd that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood in a distance watching these things. God bless the reading of his holy word. I'm not sure I'd I sure wouldn't split a church over what I'm about to say and don't want you to either I could be really wrong I don't know why God the Father turned off the lights at this moment I'm not sure why God said I'm going to darken the sky but we know that he ripped the and, and the good theologians in the room know that the tearing of the of the curtain in the temple was a, was a tearing of the separation between God and man. Only the priests could come through there. And now the high priest had done his work. And the curtain was torn. Oh, we could spend week just celebrating that phrase, that the curtain was torn. I believe that, and, and again, this, this it's my thoughts, be wrong. I think God darkened the sky because he, I think he said, you've seen enough. I've been vulnerable to my creation enough. I didn't need to be vulnerable. I did that. I I, I let you see enough. And now as all the sin of the world is placed on the the back of my son, I'm just going to darken the sky so you just, so that he can die and do this deed in peace whether that was the motivation behind it or not. The skies grew dark. In the last three hours of Jesus' life, we, we, we look at in the last two things he said. And at some point, it's kind of interesting to note that he starts this, last, this, this, this line with, Father. And what's interesting about that is the last thing we heard him say, he was quoting Scripture, but he said, God, why have you forsaken me? And there's something that shifts as this, as he's dying, and he goes from a, from a God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, probably just quoting that passage because it, he understood the abandonment that that, that went with that feeling. But he then uses a much more personal word to talk to God the Father at that point and calls him Father. Now, it's not the most intimate word he uses to talk to his father. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus said, is there some way to do this without the cross? He called God the Father, Abba. But yeah, why don't you just at least note the shift in the language as Jesus is dying, but very personal from God, why have you forsaken me, to Father. 
Next, I want you to look at the phrase. He called out in a, crowd, in, a loud, in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Into your hands. We all place our trust and faith in something, not really circumstances. We place them in something. You know, it was in 1950, a guy by the name of, of Davis Ellis, his daughter, was where they were afraid she was going to die just a few days before her graduation. And they had a similar situation that I guess I did when I placed my son in, in a doctor's hands. And the doctor at the hospital said, don't worry, he's in good hands. <laughs> Dave Zellis uh, um, trusted those good hands. He happened to be a, an agent with Allstate Insurance. And later that year when they were talking about how do we communicate you can trust us? How can you communicate to the people in our advertising that we, we can be counted on? He thought back to the doctor's words in that hospital and said, tell them they're in good hands. Well, Jesus knew his father he says, Father, into your hands. Into your hands. Um, he's, it implies a physical movement, a placement, not just a mere thought. Into your hands. Now, in some of your translations, it will say, I commit. In some of it, it'll say, It commends. And the Greek word there means both of those, but it's interesting. Commit is to bind to a certain course. Um, I'm going to commit to a course. I'm going to commit to a, to, a, to a plan, to an idea, to a, I'm going to commit to this. And so there is a way in which Jesus says uh, to his father, Father, into your hands I, I commit my spirit to the course that we have that you have called. I, I remember what he said in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. And then some of your translations will translate it, commend. And to commend is to, is to trust someone, is to, is to, is to give trust, to, to give, put your hope in. Whenever you face an obstacle in life, you have to Commit to a source of power and hope. And this obstacle, the suffering, the sorrow that Jesus was holding, he committed to handing that to his Father. Jesus did not trust the unjust scales and the unbalanced equation of the cross. He trusted his Father that somehow the divine economy of God, his Father, would make it right, would make it true, would make it good. On a personal note, whatever you're going through this day, and, today, and tonight is not about you. The cross is not about you. But what you are going through today, may you be reminded this night that, that there is a God who is trustworthy, whose hands are open 
that you can trust. Lastly, it says that into your, your hands I commit my spirit. In, the, in Genesis, it talks about the fact that when God created humanity, he breathed life into them. He gave them life and spirit. If you've ever been around someone who just died, there's something about that moment when life goes out of the body and all of a sudden this body that was, was moving and alive is, is still. And, but that's because in human beings, there is a spirit. We are not human beings with a spirit. We are a spirit who lives as a human for a season. And that essence, that's the, the, the eternal being that we are made to be, Jesus says, I, into your hands, I commend, I commit my spirit. Will you commend your spirit to the Lord Jesus Christ? Unite with him. Pray this evening, Lord Jesus, into your hands I commit my spirit. Would you, as you think of Jesus' words on the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Would you reflect and think about his invitation to you that was underlined 2,000 years ago on the cross? Then in John 19, 28 and 30, the last Jesus says, after this, Jesus knowing that, it, that, that all was now finished. Listen to that phrase. After this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there so they put a sponge full of sour wine and held it to his mouth. When Jesus received the sour wine, he said his last words, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. I'm better at starting things than finishing things. I've started more books than I've come close to finishing. I've started more diet plans, more Bible reading programs, more self-help things. I'm a good starter. I think if I found out my life was only minutes left, I wouldn't say it's finished. I would say there's a couple things I need to take care of. I just need a little more time. I didn't get this covered. I didn't get that covered. But that's not our Savior. Our Savior on the cross, who, who, by the way, through Paul later on says that he will finish what he started in you. Now, doesn't that give you hope? That the one's being finished, that, that's, a, that's a trait of steadfastness. 
I'll steadfast, I'll finish the task. I'll stick with it, I'll get it done. Oh, that's our Savior's temperament and personality. That's our God's, that's, a, that's, that's one of our, 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 our traits of our God. He's steadfast. He finishes what he starts. And as I stumble and rumble and wonder and struggle, oh, the fact that I've been chosen by one who finishes gives me great hope, as it should you. So Jesus, seeing that it was finished, he he makes a statement. Now, it's really interesting. Um, It's really interesting. It's really one Greek word, and it comes from a verb. I'm not even going to try to say it. It frustrates such a good theologian, such a good teacher. It really frustrates when when I say Greek words incorrectly. But it comes from a Greek word that is a verb that means to bring to an end, to complete, to accomplish. It's the sort of word you'd say if you just turned in your last chapter of your book of your life or your dissertation. You just finished a a marathon or you just climbed Mount Everest. It's a word you'd say when you've you've completed a task that, that mattered. It's a, it's, a, it's a celebratory word in one sense. To bring to an end, to complete, to accomplish. It's not a word that says, I have, I've survived. It's not a word that says, um, um, I, I barely got through. It's, it, it would better, it best be understood as, I did exactly what I set out to do. So you could translate that, it's finished, as Jesus, as he takes his last breath, as the, as the price is paid, you, you can almost hear it as Jesus saying, I completed exactly what I intended. Notice the word is in perfect tense, not in past tense. Perfect tense means that it's happened and it's continued, and it continues in effect. It means the word it's finished is it's finished in the past, it's complete, it's finished in the present, it's finished in the future. Notice he did not say, I'm finished or I'm tired or I'm done. He said it's finished. The quote by Ray Pritchard, listen, it says, it is finished. This is not a despairing cry of a helpless martyr. It is not an expression of satisfaction that his suffering will be terminated. It's not his last gasp of a worn out life. No, rather... And and it was not a declaration on the part of a divine redeemer. It is, in fact, the declaration on the part of a divine redeemer that all for which he came from heaven to earth to do was now done. 
that all that was needed to reveal the full character of God has now been accomplished, that all that is required by the, by the law for sinners to be saved has now been performed, and that the price of our redemption has now been paid its Forgiveness was made available because of the shedding of his blood and that he was a perfect sacrifice. It's finished. Our hope tonight, as you think about these last words, is that you would reflect on the great work done that day 2,000 years ago. Because by him finishing that work, you can live in hope. By him finishing that work, you can live as a redeemed man or woman. You can be transformed. Your heart can be made alive. Oh, men and women. He does love us. It is personal. And he's finished.
Sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you When I think of the stories that we all know so well from the Bible, sometimes when I think about Easter, if I'm honest with you, I sometimes say, I wonder if it's, is it really true? Is it true that he's going to finish what he started? Is it true that the price has been paid? I think the proof that it is true, because God knew that we wouldn't be the only persons that would be wondering that. And in one sense, all that needed to take place that day was what we've just talked about, took place on the cross. But then we'd have wondered, was it just a guy dying on a cross? And was it just a story? Did it really matter? Was it really true? <laughs> this love story doesn't end in a tomb doesn't end on a cross these aren't his last seven words this story has another chapter but we want you to leave tonight being aware that all the disciples 2,000 years ago didn't know the next chapter Jesus had been telling them but they I probably couldn't possibly believe. But we want to leave tonight with a candle lit as a reminder. The story doesn't end on Friday. <laughs> no. There's a celebration coming on Sunday. The tomb will be empty in proof. In proof that it wasn't just some old guy that said nice things and died on a cross that fit a bunch of prophecies. 
No. It was God himself incarnate. He's risen from the dead. We'll celebrate that come Easter. I hope you come and celebrate with us. Go solemnly celebrating with a glimmer in your eye of the great hope of a risen king.